Be kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Episode 66 of Dope Nostalgia is here, and I am Naomi, your host. We have a very exciting guest today with such a cool radio voice. Mr. Don Grant from the podcast Three Interesting Things is joining me to discuss another great 90s rock band who are still kicking it today, Living Color. It's been a pleasure to speak with him. Can't wait to show you that interview. And just we, he tells me so much about a band that I really didn't have that much information from, except for their big, huge hit called Personality. I hadn't known much about Living Color. So I want to thank Don for his education on the show. And hopefully we all learn something really cool and get to immerse ourselves in the world of a fantastic rock band. As well, I've got a new segment on the show where we catch up with past guests and see what they're releasing, what their new projects are. Let me tell you a little bit more. Here's our new news break. Hot off the presses? You gotta adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. We got some news coming out of Niagara Falls, Ontario from the band Svengali. Svengali Official, you can find them on Instagram, and their latest Instagram post is telling us all about their brand new video release in May, May 7th, 2021, the video for Hurt. So they're starting to show previews for that. Check them out because I know like when we were talking last there with... um, David Wanless, the lead singer of Svengali, he had been expressing that there was new music on the way and we were just waiting for the time to do it. So check it out. New video Hurt from Svengali. Wikipedia moment. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Living Color is an American rock band from New York City, formed in 1984. The band currently consists of guitarist Vernon Reed, lead vocalist Corey Glover, drummer Will Calhoun, and bassist Doug Wimblish, who replaced Muzz Skillings in 1992. Stylistically, their music is a creative fusion influenced by heavy metal, funk, jazz, hip-hop, punk, and alternative rock. I want to make note that they spell the name Color with a U, based on British English. Although they scored a number of hits, Living Color is best known for their signature anthem, Cult of Personality, which won a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance in 1990. Living Color has released six studio albums so far. The band rose to fame with their debut album, Vivid, in 1988. The band's lyrics range from the personal to the political, including social commentary on racism in America. They were also named Best New Artist at the 1989 MTV Video Music Awards and won their second Grammy Award for their follow-up album, Time's Up, in 1990. Their third album, Stain, in 1993, was also well-received by music critics. After disbanding in 1995, Living Color reunited in late 2000 and has released three more studio albums since then. All right, check this out. The band has been in the process of working on new material for the follow-up to Shade, And our good friend, Don Grant, from Ontario, from the podcast, Three Interesting Things, is here today to talk about Living Color with me. Welcome, Don. I want to welcome you, Don, to uh, Dope Nostalgia. And uh, just to let the people know, I put out 
on Reddit looking for guests that would be bringing some really cool information about artists they love to the show. And that's how you and I got connected. Now, um, the name of your podcast is Three Interesting Things. That Can is you correct. Tell- Tell everybody about your show. So uh, Three Interesting Things is a weekly podcast where every week we discuss the three most interesting things on the internet this week as submitted by listeners. And so listeners, well, I mean, uh, mostly submitted by listeners. As we got started, of course, I had to cheat a little bit since we didn't have listeners at the beginning. But now that it's picking up, it's getting a little bit better than that. So yeah, so we can talk about all kinds of things. People submit things uh, from entertainment, from history, from science, from whatever. uh, And then myself and a different guest host every week uh talk about those three things uh, in sort of interesting and fun and quirky ways so it's the idea is that it's a little bit uh, informational but uh instead of two people just shooting their mouths off it's also you know just like conversation so uh yeah a weekly show it's kind of fun people could try it out if they like it great subscribe if they don't i have a feeling they can find another podcast it's not like there's a shortage of them that's true that's true but, uh you mix up the uh the topics obviously like the subject matter you're gonna have any politics in there or is well that yeah something? well yeah. i mean yes and no i mean we I, I i try to steer clear too too much of politics and keep it relatively factual uh, although that being said uh this week's episode the three topics were the first one was about uh presidential dogs and the only dog in history that has a statue a presidential dog the second one was about the fact that orson Welles met Hitler. And the third one was, do we need an international language in space? Uh, but, you know, other topics have been, you know, how many American states lie north of Canada? Uh, the Superman curse, is it real? Over Christmas, we did 87 interesting things about the movie Die Hard. So it's it's all over the place. It's a lot of fun. And the one that's coming out uh, next, we just recorded, has to do with uh, covid and uh, ghost hauntings and how they've gone up during COVID and a killer squirrel in Regal Park, New York. So yeah, you can these see are, it's kind of all over the damn place. These are very interesting topics. Yeah. Well, I, we, I, have to, I have to live up to the title, right? It can't be three boring ass things. I have to be interesting. <laughs> exactly. No. So everybody should check that out. And uh, well, we'll run a trailer. If you get a trailer, we'll run a trailer as well. Oh, awesome. I'll send it to you. Thanks. And uh, hey, I'll listen, I also have to somehow sound like I know what I'm talking about on this show. So people that don't think I'm a total schmuck. <laughs> One of the bands that we decided to talk about today is a band that I only know a small amount about. I tried to do a bit of research and I got some some things to talk about together. All right. So that, but uh, Living Color. What's was- your favorite color, baby? <laughs> They're still active to this day. Yeah, which I, you know what? The funny thing is, of the two of us, I am the bigger Living Color fan, and I, I didn't even know that. I was doing a bit of research too, because I, I know my, my way around Living Color, because I still listen to them to this day. But when I was sort of Googling and doing a bit of searching, I'm like, oh, they just released an album three years ago, and I had to listen to it yesterday, actually. Wonderful. What'd you think of it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but at the same time, it wasn't. One where I was saying to myself, I have to listen to this multiple times. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just, it was one of those ones where I'm like, okay, they still got the chops. Vernon can still play. Corey can still sing. Uh, the songs are interesting. But at no time was I saying to myself that I was going to listen to it again. And there's probably a very good chance that I probably will not. Do you ever find that a lot of the bands that you really admired earlier in your life, the newer material just doesn't do it for you? <sighs> 
You know what's funny? Uh, like one thing I have found, and I, uh, you and I, I think, are of a bit of a different vintage. I think I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you are, and I one of the Only things that maybe a little. I'm 42. You're for, yeah, I'm, I'm old. You're 42. You look fantastic, girl. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Not, it's, it's the lighting. Sure. It's the light. Yeah, exactly. It's the lighting. <laughs> yes, I am indeed older than you. And one of the things that I have found, and maybe you can confirm this too, is that it's different now that we don't buy stuff at a store. Do you know what I mean? Like it used to be that you would go down to HMV, you would go down to Sam the Record Man, you would go down to whatever, and you would buy yourself the new you know, living color cassette or CD or whatever it was. And you would own that object and you would have it. And because of that, you knew when they were coming out, you knew what the release was and you heard about, it. even though it was, you know, pre-internet, you knew that there was, you know, a new blankety blank CD coming out. Now, of course, you don't really get that. It's just all of a sudden it's like, oh, Ariana dropped a new album yesterday. Okay. I, I didn't know that was coming. And I have had this happen a number of times with artists who I really, really like suddenly discovering that they released an album last year and I knew nothing about it. And I'll listen to it. I'll be like, oh, this is great. But it's like, how, how did I not know that, you know, Ray LaMontagne released another album? Like, what the hell? Yeah, the buildup's not there as it used to be. And I think a lot of times artists do that on purpose because if the buildup were there, it would leak on them. I guess it would. But the thing is, it's going to leak anyway, right? I mean, like now yeah. that it's everyone, everything's on Spotify and now that everything's digital, the second it comes out, it's it's like films too, right? I mean, like Wonder Woman came out over Christmas and by noon on Christmas Day, it was all over the internet. It's like, that's yeah. that's the, the world that we live in, right? No matter what, it's going to get pirated. But my, my I would say there's been so many instances where the album came out before it was supposed to. Right, right. And that's probably why they're just like, oh, here you go, surprise. Yeah, exactly. Especially the bigger artists, right? Yeah. And another thing you mentioned about, you know, back in the day when you go and you have that, you pick up the album and you have that ownership of it. I think it also made you much more invested in the music, even like you would know more about like the album tracks, the deep cuts, because yeah. you owned it and there was more excitement around the event of getting it. Well, also because the, I think the key word there and you hit upon it is the fact that it was an album. Right. It wasn't just, you know, like people, I, I forgive me if I'm going to sound really Andy Rooney here. You know what bugs me? Here's the old man. <laughs> it's the fact that people don't really release an album anymore. Yes, they release albums, but at the same time, their albums are just a collection of songs, three of which have been tagged by the A&R man to be as, you know, singles which go out, et cetera. And that's happened for a long time. But, you know, back in the day, they... They were, people released albums and people put thought into them so that there was a side A and there was a side B and that you put their thought into which thing was going to go where. And you actually had this object in your hands, this CD in your CD drive, and you were reading the liner notes and you were looking at the cover pictures and all the rest of it. So it was a bit more of an experience as opposed to the fact that, you know, if like Living Color came out with a new album, I didn't know about it. I listened to it yesterday in my living room. 10 seconds after I found out about its existence and I finished listening to it and then I went and made dinner. I mean, that's a whole different experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I also miss like reading through the liner notes while it was playing for the first time. Yeah. And seeing who, uh, Hey, Oh, I didn't know. Hey, Slash played guitar on this track. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was more, it was definitely more of an event than what we've got going on nowadays. But I think a lot of people are, obviously missing that and that's why the surge in vinyl is also so huge oh, to do geez. to do the, the the making of an event of getting the album again i think it's been part of that reason 
I was talking about this on three interesting things a week or two ago. One of my one of the guests was talking about vinyl, and I mentioned the fact that my daughter, for my daughter who is twenty, uh, she got herself a record player for Christmas, and so one of the things that she was asking for was vinyl, and said, you know, get me a couple of albums, and I thought, sure, I'll get some albums. So she wanted Beyonce, she wanted Lemonade by Beyonce, so I got it for her. It was fifty bucks. Yeah, and it's like what. Uh, 50 bucks now you and i realized the absolute absurdity of that because we have purchased the like 50 dollars yes. for a piece of vinyl is just because now it's 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 an artifact right it's not just a piece of music it's an artifact that you have and you put on display and you have the cover and it's art as well right exactly and the thing is that a lot of these albums weren't even recorded in analog so the sound quality isn't going to be as good even it's digital moving on to a piece of vinyl it's right. not the same yeah um they can they can remix it as, as much as they want but it's it's going to be a, a different experience right yeah and the other thing what was i going to say oh i blanked out <laughs> something uh i don't know it's okay this is the part that you edit out to make us sound smarter exactly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh yeah okay when you're saying fifty dollars i remember when a cd was 25 and i thought that was really really oh totally the, but, and that the was very first ago. cd that i bought the very first cd that i bought i remember it was pink floyd it was pink floyd's the final cut because it had actually just came out and mm. i paid 25 bucks and i thought to myself how do i justify paying $25 for an album because you know up until then you know you bought your cassettes for $7.99 or your cassettes for $8.99 oh yeah. god I, I sound so old Naomi I sound so old I'm right there with you on this I <laughs> the first CD I bought I think it was porno graffiti by extreme yes and it was it was 25 at the time too yeah. you know what's weird I um I didn't have that CD, but a number of my friends had that CD. And it wasn't until like six months after I had first encountered it that I realized that it was called pornography. I totally thought it was called pornography the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't say anything about me at all, though. Don't, don't extrapolate from that. Oh, man, that was a good album. But let's talk about Living Color, of course. Um, one thing I thought was really cool because I'm like searching them and stuff and I'm trying to look them up and I'm always typing in C-O-L-O-R because I figured... I didn't realize they went with the British spelling, the yeah, actual C O L O U. Oh, you are. That's right. They went with the British and the Canadian spelling. And I think one of the, the, there are a few reasons why we think that happened. One of the main ones is that the guitarist Vernon Reed was actually born in England. He was British. Uh, mm. And so he had spelled it living color when he, and he was the main sort of formate, formative force behind the band. Uh, yeah. And so he had spelled it color all that way. And then I guess the people at the label were like, this is good because it's different and it's unique. And people will think that it's kind of, you know, how people spell, you know, words differently. It's, and it was just kind of uh, an organically occurring thing like that. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that I was impressed. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't I find a lot of people tend to make fun of the fact that we put we throw use in a lot of words, but <laughs> that we go by the British spellings, but damn I, Canadians. I'm one of those like grammar freaks and spelling freaks. So I just absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Oxford comma. OK, um, there was actually a huge role from what I understand that Mick Jagger played in their discovery. Yeah. I mean, so Living Color, for for those who don't know, for anybody who is not. It, it, now, when you and I were talking about Living Color, 
Did you know, where, did you immediately say, oh, at least I know the song blank? Or did, did you not yeah. know any of the songs? Yeah. So what was the main song? I'm Cult, guessing it was called Cult Personality. personality. Right? Yeah. That's the one that everybody knows because that was their sort of the, the big hit. That was the huge hit from Vivid. Now, the thing about Living Colors that they have released a number of albums, including one just a couple of years ago. They released one after Vivid, which was called Time's Up, which was really good. But at the end of the day, Vivid was the album, right? I mean, it, it's the one to talk about because it it's the one that kind of changed everything and Cult of Personality was the big song from it. Mm -hmm. um, they were a big, uh, kind of a set, not a session band, but they were a big band, live band in New York in the 80s, uh, like around 85, 86, 87. They were playing CBGBs. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, lo and behold, they, no, nobody was going to sign them. And the main reason why nobody was signing them was because they no one could really get on board with the fact that here was a bunch of black guys who played like shredding rock and roll because the industry was just so kind of there was so much striation in the industry in the sense that okay this is what rock looks like it's a lot of white guys with long hair in the late 80s right uh mm -hmm. singing about this that and the other thing and if you were black in the late 80s what you were doing is you were doing rap or you were doing the beginnings of hip-hop or whatever so here you have Vernon Reed, who's the guitarist for Living Color, one of the most amazing guitarists of the last 30 years, like just an astonishing guitarist. Yeah. Uh, and Corey Glover. And, and and the two of them put together this band. I, I shouldn't uh, shortchange short the other band members, but those are kind of the two main ones. And uh, they were playing all these live shows. And Mick Jagger was looking for people to play on his new album that he was putting together and for his tour, his solo album that he was doing. And he had heard about Living Color because they were playing around New York at the time and he was living in New York at the time. So he actually went to CBGBs to hear them play and hired them immediately to tour with the Stones. Uh, so when the Stones actually toured the next year, I think it was the Steel Wheels tour, uh, Living Color opened for them. And and the weird thing was in between then and the time that the tour happened, Vivid came out, it got huge, Cult of Personality got huge. And a lot of people, myself included, who saw them in that concert was saying, why is Living Color opening for the Stones? Because Living Color is a big band now. It's It was like, you know, most of the time the band that's going to open for the Stones is going to be a band that you've never heard of, of from like Seattle and go, okay, they're fine. Get them off the stage. But uh, here was this band that had actually struck it really, really big in the meantime. I saw there was a few. I guess it just depends on the era. I think it was 1995. There's a few bigger bands that have opened for the Stones, at least in more recent years. There were a bunch. And I can tell you a sort of a, a little story that a friend of mine told me. So I went to see them when they played my hometown. Uh, it was the Stones and Living Color. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was going largely for living color not as much for the stones as much as i like yeah. the stones i was going for living color but a friend of mine actually worked uh backstage uh, and he told me that there was a big rumor going around that living color sounded so good and was getting such good response that some people in the stones camp it might not have even been the stones themselves actually told the, the engineers and the technicians to mix them kind of into mud to make them sound crappier so that the stones sounded cleaner and crisper when they came on and so by the time the tour was done you actually had living color coming out and playing but their mix was really really off so that they would not sound as good as they could sound because they had had many, many years to become 
this really sharp live band because they had played gig after gig after gig at, at CBGB's. So they knew what live bands were. They knew what it was to gig. And here they were playing you know, stadiums and arenas now. Mm -hmm. Well, I really hope it's not the case that <laughs> they would get screwed over by sound engineering in that kind of manner. But uh, I, I like, yeah, as I say, it might be apocryphal. This is a friend of mine who uh, told me this and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, uh, vouch for his veracity, but it's, it is a fascinating story. I will I tell say you, nothing surprises me though. Nothing surprises me either. And I will say that when I saw them, I, I did find their sound to be a little bit funky. Actually, I, I didn't even notice it until the stones came on. And when the stones came on, all of a sudden it was like, Oh, this is what the sound is supposed to sound like. Now I get it. When that kind of thing happens, I usually think it's because each band has their own engineer. That could be it too. Although, um, it like that's a good question actually, because sometimes the, it, it's it's it also comes down to the to the venue, right? It also comes down to the joint where they're playing, mm -hmm. uh, because many of these people would be union, and the union people in the house would would be running the entire thing, right? So, yeah. there was a quote I found when we go back to talking about the issue of race. Um, one of the most, and it's a quote from Will Calhoun, which is a drummer. Yeah. Uh, he says, one of the most frustrating things is the ignorance of people who will not admit or deal with the fact that black people invented rock and roll. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, I think the rest of it, of that wasn't exactly a quote from him, but it was from the article I read. It says, by making songs about the perils of hero worship, racism, and gentrification, Living Color forced listeners to reckon with uncomfortable truths. It's true. And the interesting thing about them is that even though they were playing, you know, good hard thrash and rock and roll they did not shy away from racial topics like if you if you look at vivid a number of the songs on that album funk or uh, funny vibe uh is a song all having to do with race uh mm -hmm. open letter to a landlord has to do with race uh so they, they they didn't shy away from it and you know based on the album that i was just listening to yesterday their new one they still are not shying away from it and and good for them so that was the problem is that a lot of people just didn't know what to make of them because also when you listen to them you know, here you have this guy just shredding like Tom Morello and this yeah. guy singing hardcore. And it's like, damn, these guys really rock and roll. They, they you know, they, they sound like, you know, modern day Zeppelin. But when you look at them, they look like they should be doing like like a hip hop because also um, Danny Glover, Danny Glover. I knew I was going to make that mistake. That was actually <laughs> <laughs> Corey, Corey Glover, who is the who is the lead singer. There was a lot of mistaking at the time. People thought that he was the son of Danny Glover. People actually said he's the son of Danny Glover to the point where he had to say, I am not the son of Danny Glover. Um, <laughs> Corey Glover's uh, trademark look at the time was this kind of tight fitting uh, body glove wetsuit which he wore in the video for Cult of Personality. And they were also one of those bands that was fortunate enough to come out with videos right at the peak of MTV, right? MTV mm -hmm. was still in its heyday. So when Cult of Personality was picked up by MTV and ran like ad nauseum, uh, there was, uh, you know, Corey Glover rocking out in his, and, and this band, which, which people were like, wow, look at this. Although it was, I will say, I think it was a bit of a double-edged sword because I think they also did market themselves on that as well. Like it, it was something that stopped them from getting a recording contract for a million years. But then once they got it and once they became big, I, I do get the feeling that the label was like, hey, look at all these black guys who are rock and rolling, you know, sort of using that as, some, as a point of entry for people who had not heard them yet.
inspired a lot of uh, uh, people who didn't think that it would be acceptable for them to do that genre. Like yeah, for instance, totally. Tom Morello. Yeah. Tom Morello. I mean, he said too, when he first heard of the song Cult of Personality, he was absolutely blown away that clearly there are other African-Americans who unapologetically loved Led Zeppelin and wanted to shred. Yeah, it's true. And, so it and to inspire him. And if you listen to, well, I mean, like if, if you just break down cult of personality, because the funny thing is, I, like that song is the one that everybody knows. I like I like that song. I find there's other songs on that album that are significantly better. Middleman's really good. Um, but if you listen to the, uh, you know, the riff that, you know, that first that opening riff, that na 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 that thing, apparently it was actually Corey Glover just humming that to himself in a hallway as they were sort of getting the band together. And they were sort of, you know, he was sort of humming this little tune. And then Vernon Reed, who's the guitarist was like, Hey, I like that. And they took it and they kind of went to, into the studio and they wrote it in a couple of hours. And lo and behold, a couple hours later, Cult of Personality was there, but that, that lick is now so famous. It was also, and I didn't know this, it was used in a number of uh, uh, Guitar Hero, the, you know, the video game Guitar Hero. Yes. It was it was used in that quite heavily. And it was kind of like the boss level Guitar Hero. Like if you got really, really, really good, if you were insanely <laughs> good, you would go. And as I was actually looking up a couple things to talk about tonight, I stumbled upon this guy who got 100% on Cult of Personality in Guitar Hero and uploaded the video onto YouTube. And I highly recommend your listeners go watch it if for no other reason than to say, what the hell? Because once it gets into the guitar solo in the middle of the song, it's just insane. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Mode. How, oh, it's, it's <laughs> I, like, I don't even know how this guy did it. It's you, he must've had to do it a bazillion times, like Groundhog Day, just doing it again and again and again and again until he got it perfect. I remember those days where Guitar Hero was like everybody's like addiction and yeah. people would play it for hours. Well, I know what's right. funny. If you, if you look at that video, you look at the kind of care, the cartoon characters that are in the background that they've put in there. And yeah. it's sort of like, oh yeah, the early 2000s. <laughs> Cause it, it, yeah. it has, it hasn't aged terribly well. It's, it, it's, that's what makes you realize. Cause at the time you thought to yourself, oh my God, this is so cool. This is so cutting edge. But now you look back at it and it's like, oh, I remember that. It's interesting there. It's so vintage now. It's so strange that it feels that way, especially for like, it, it feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah. I, and I had the rock band game one, two and three. So I still have the drum pad and all of that. We used to play that. But I mean, like people would spend so much time playing this game. I said to myself, why don't you pick up a real guitar? Yeah, it's there true. Was an, there was an episode of South Park <laughs> that was like that. Uh, where, do you watch South Park? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Rand, Randy Marsh, the best dad ever on on the cartoons. He uh, <laughs> the kids are loving to play rock band or whatever. Or 
it was i think it was guitar hero and he goes out and gets his real guitar and he plugs in the app and he's like in his underwear and shirt in the living room playing it and the kids are like you're so lame <laughs> <laughs> playing a real guitar uh the, you know the other thing that i was thinking about when it comes to to living color and when it comes to vivid in particular is that so many of the albums and so many of the artists that we talk about and then you talk about on your show um are kind of like I, you know, you don't want to necessarily call them one hit wonders. Some of them were one hit wonders. Some of them sort of had their their birth and death in the 80s or 90s, right? I mean, that's kind of yeah. when they happened. And that's and that's that. And Living Color is no different. I mean, like you and I, I, as someone who was who a fan of Living Color, didn't even know they had a new album, right? But that mm. being said, I think sometimes what happens is that we as consumers of music assume that that can sometimes also be a reflection on the quality of the music. Right. And mm -hmm. that and that because of the fact that they are they, you know, that their careers lived and died in this short time frame, that that means that the music wasn't necessarily good or it wasn't long lasting. And the thing about Vivid and I will die on this hill. The thing about Living Color and the thing about Vivid is that if this album came out today, you would not know that it was from 1987. You would not know it is. It sounds so clean and so crisp and like it's it, it's it's time. It is so I, I hate to say it's timeless because it's cliche, but it is timeless. It holds up. It holds More up really holds up. well. Have, did you listen to it so be like in the lead up? I have not. No, I have. I'm on another podcast where I have to listen to some albums. So I'm kind of behind on my uh, <laughs> on my listing to things. So I'll be honest, I did not. If you want, I, I would say this. I would, if you want to listen to uh, get a listen to the first four tracks, listen to Cult of Personality, I Want to Know, Middleman, and Desperate People, and okay. those four tracks, you'll just be like, "Holy, am I allowed to swear or no?" Oh yeah. Oh, you'd say, "Holy shit, this is this is really good, solid music," and mm. Verdon's guitar solos are insane, and Corey's singing is the, the the interesting thing about Corey's singing is that it's a combination of that kind of like shriek and rock and roll but mm. with a little bit of kind of funk thrown into it and a soul thrown into it, like this little infusion. And also the like, some of the tracks have like a bit of a jazzy feel to it. It was mm. all over the place. They had so many influences going into their music that they and they could do so much. They were really talented musicians. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the music has traveled so well. There are a lot of artists from the 80s and 90s who are forgotten for a reason. Right. I mean, yes, yeah. they were fine. And yes, the, that one song, we all listened to Lou Bega for a month. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, we don't listen anymore. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I have on my Spotify playlist, for example, I have a master Spotify playlist with, you know, a thousand songs on it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and on that playlist, I've got like, you know, almost all of Vivid. And so some of these songs come up and I listen to them to this day on a, on a regular basis. And I will rock out in the car with my daughters and they will rock out with me. And uh, it's it's great. It's it's really good music that if people do not know, I heartily recommend they go back and punch it up again. I want to use the word flavor because I say there's from what from what you're describing, there's so much flavor on this album of different types of styles incorporated. They were funk metal pioneers. Yeah. So that's something that really turns me on to listening to them because I just absolutely love that sound. And the best part is that the flavor spelt with a U. It that's how I pictured it in my mind <laughs> as I said it. <laughs> you actually had it in your head with a U. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The nineties was a time of a lot of uh one hit wonders where people didn't make it out. And when I first started the idea for this podcast, my idea was to kind of focus on the people who didn't make it out. Yeah. 
or at I, least not in a mainstream like top 40 level right they could still be relevant still make music but we just don't know what they're doing anymore um now i've i've widened that i've broadened my horizons it's basically i think it if you put stuff out in the 90s i'm going to talk about you on the show <laughs> but the neat thing, I mean, the funny thing is not many people did make it out, right? I mean, not mm -hmm. everybody's Madonna. Not everybody made it out of the 90s. Most people, you know, like if you think yeah. about the average lifespan of the typical artist, uh, I mean, it's even shorter now. But at the time, you know, like it, you're talking about, you know, one album, possibly two. And it was very rare that somebody can pull out three. And I mean, here we're talking mm. about a band that I love, who I still listen to to this day in 2021, that had one album, which did very, very well. And that I'm mm -hmm. sure they're all collecting lots of resids from, but did not make it out. You know, their their next album was critically, hugely successful. The crit, It's called Time Time's Up, Time's Out. I can't remember. See, mm -hmm. look at that. I can't even remember the name of the album. album. I had <laughs> it. I listened to it. It's a great album. Time's but Up, 1990. Time, there we go. Time's Up. Uh, not you know like four people bought it right because everyone was like oh this is put on vivid or people moved on to this and this is from a band that made really good music right so mm -hmm. it's it's tricky it was a hard thing to pull off after these messages we'll be right back yeah. what's the most interesting thing you've seen on the internet this week is it a fact? If you are going to the space station as an astronaut in 2020, or even for the last, you know, almost decade, you have had to learn Russian before you go. An article. My question when I saw this was, how is it even possible that she had hair follicles in her gums? That's not where they're supposed to be. Or something else. What was yeah. the one after murder hornets? Was it like arson sharks? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> right. That's what we talk about on three interesting things. A weekly podcast where we cover the three most interesting things on the internet this week as chosen and submitted by listeners. I'm Don Grant. You've probably heard my voice on commercials telling you to buy something, but every week on Three Interesting Things, I'm joined by different guest hosts from around the world to chat about interesting facts and stories in the fields of science, pop culture, history, or whatever else is sent our way. So have a listen. We're on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you've got something you want us to talk about on the show, hit us up on Twitter at 3interesting, that's the number 3interesting, on Instagram at 3interestingthings, or email us at 3interestingthings at gmail.com. Blackman, and this is my main man, Michael Jordan, and this is a pair of pipes, Ed Jordan from Nike. This is something you can buy, and this is a patented, vicious, high-flying, 360 slam dunk. This is something you cannot do. Let me repeat myself. This you can buy. You cannot do this. Can, can, can. Uh-huh. No!
they managed well they put out two albums in the 90s so time's up in 1990 and then the third album was called stain in 93 yeah. also well received by the critics now when you look at the time it's 1993 how do you think the grunge era affected living color that's an interesting question actually uh i've heard stain and i haven't heard it for a while but i can't imagine living color being you know what i guess the answer to that question depends on how influential their their label was because they were a pretty solid and they had their heads screwed on right you know what i mean yeah. so so if so if the grunge movement and if that sort of mid 90s feel did influence their music i have a feeling that it was kind of like at the behest of their label uh I'll have, you know what i'll have to listen to stain again and see see how well that thing holds up because i haven't heard that since 1923 it's been a while that's something that the uh listeners can weigh in on as well what their feelings and thoughts are on that if they want um what was the uh, best deep cuts for you on Vivid and Oof. why? Ooh, that's an interesting question. We're going to play some clips. Are we? Are we? <laughs> yeah, I play clips. I got a SoCan license. So I oh, I love it. Okay. So if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to play a clip, Ooh, that's a really good question. I would say do it from either middleman or desperate people. Okay. I would say that because, because cult personality, everybody knows. And I, I'm one of those really annoying people where whatever the hit of the album is, I'll be like, that's fine. But I get so tired of it because it gets played over and over and over again. Me you know what I mean? too. Yeah. Are you like I'm that too? I'm a big fan of deep cuts because I don't want to hear the top 40 on the radio all the right. time. Um, if I love a band, I usually really try to dig in deep. And I never want to hear Living on a Prayer again in Bon Jovi. <laughs> well, it's a I great mean, song, but I'm so tired of it. You know what? If Bon Jovi is your favorite band, yeah, you like you might like the sound of a song like Desperate People because they like they there is a bit of a similar vibe in terms of the band. Like mm -hmm. like it's it's a bit harder. It's it's not as sort of top forty, but it, and it's a little bit harder. But at the same time, it's it's still super accessible, right? Yeah. Um, but cult of personality. Don't get me wrong. When that song was out, I rocked out to that thing left, right, and center when it was on the radio. But now. It, it'll happen very frequently. Fortunately for me, it's the very first track on the album that I'll skip it. I'll just move on to the next one because I've heard Cult of Personality 2,641 times. So I'll yes. move right on to I Want to Know and then The Middleman and Desperate People. I would say if you're going to play a clip, play uh, play play a bit of Middleman or play a bit of Desperate People because they're, they're fantastic. And they show off Corey's voice really well.
good. What about, uh, like I said, you know, you have to listen to Stain again, but uh, does anything come to mind from Time's Up that we should check out? Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let me pull it up again. We can edit here. <laughs> good, good. Hold Take on. your time to look. It's funny because Time's Up, there it is with the color. Oh, yeah. I forgot this album. This was such an interesting album. I remember I was desperately in love with a girl when this album came out and i remember being at a party desperately hoping that i could get together with her and and wanting to put this album on as a way to seduce her guess <laughs> guess how well that went uh <laughs> um i think what history lesson no 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 history lesson was it was no, oh no pride pride was a really good song okay yeah pride was a really solid song i remember that song really well it was good um yeah time's up was a bit of a different album because it had all kinds of like it had these like, uh, like little interstitials in between the songs, like little vocal bits that happened. Uh, and they did that a lot, right? I mean, one of the things that made Cult of Personality so big was it had those speeches at the top at the end. It had Kennedy and Martin Luther King with these clips. And, you know, I, I would probably be remiss in mentioning that Cult of Personality is this song about how dangerous a charismatic leader is. Uh, mm. I, 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 you know, it's not like that's still valid today no any, there's there's i can't think of anybody who that still applies to today so thank goodness that song has been you know taken into the ash bin of history speaking of timeless and aging well <laughs> right and, and we record this of course on the day that he was impeached for a second time i know making records Ooh, baby what speaking of making records <laughs> <laughs> color why did they split when they did in 95 do you know much about the reasons why i'm not sure why they split it. it's it's um i know that Corey, uh the lead singer Corey glover had a number of other interests he was actually an actor as well he was if you if you watch platoon the movie the oliver stone film platoon mm -hmm. uh he was actually in that film um yes. and so so that was kind of neat um but they disbanded i think it was in 95 because i think they just 
it was one of the typical things that, you know, they all had different musical goals that they wanted to do. Um, and, you know, Vernon, who was the, who's the guitarist and sort of the main founder, I'm going to guess wanted them to sort of continue on with a more of a hard rock and feel. My gut tells me that Corey wanted to go in different directions just because he had this sort of jazzy background. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They, they've never, well, and, and you know, they, they came back together and it doesn't sound like it was a really acrimonious breakup, right? So obviously no. thing, things went okay. It was just like, yeah, you know what? I want to do my own thing. Let's, okay, thanks. You know, text me next week and maybe we'll do something kind of a thing. That does seem to be the case. It doesn't yeah. sound like there was any like bad blood between anybody. No, um, not at all. I think, yeah, that's funny you mentioned the movie Platoon as well. I wonder if he did any more acting uh, as well. He, uh, I think he tried to, but then of course, uh, Living Color made it so big that he didn't yeah. really have the time to do it. I mean, I, I it's interesting. It would be interesting to see if I pulled him up on IMDb. I wonder if he did anything after. Uh, hold on. Uh, actor Platoon. There it is. Uh, known for Platoon. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute. Uh, known for. Okay, actor. He was also in. Okay, yeah, he was in a TV series called uh, Signs of Life. He was in yeah, one or two things here and there. Yeah. So, but uh, but uh, he he certainly didn't burn up the <laughs> the the movies and he didn't burn up the acting field. That's for sure. Well, it was good that he gave it a go and got to do some cool projects. You know. Yeah. Um, you would think that his father, Danny Glover, would have helped him get into the business. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's what it was. It was the nepotism. It yeah, that's. Then <laughs> <laughs> um, we were mentioning about them playing with the Stones. There was an instance where I think it was for four nights they played with the Stones and Guns and Roses. That's right. The whole the whole racist uh, thing. You saw all about that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell the story. It's because it's, okay. it's an interesting one. So essentially. Uh, Guns N' Roses have a song off of, uh, is it GNR Lies? I uh, think that's the album. Maybe. I was never a big GNR guy, to be totally honest with you. I was okay. a living color guy. <laughs> yes, this was in 1989. Um, they gave a live, uh, Living Color gave a live radio interview, and someone asked them about not their own music, but about Guns N' Roses' song called One in a Million, which is, uh, in my opinion, horrific. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to repeat the words that are used in it, um, but they're 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 very derogatory towards black people, gay people, and people who are not from this country. Wait, or in, in, insensitive material coming out of the rock genre in the early '90s? What? You would never have known, right? <laughs> Guns and Roses are very uh, very squeaky clean back in the day, and so. Both Reed and Calhoun expressed that they were disappointed and disapproved of that song. Yeah. Um, and that they should that they felt that they should call them out for it. Um, but they also were incensed with the idea that they had to answer for what Axel Rose did. Why oh, would yeah. that be on them? So and they and, have to address that. Yeah, and they, and in a radio interview, they basically they called them out and they said, Yeah, man, this this is shitty stuff. <laughs> Vernon Reed says, What's frustrating about that? At no time did anyone ever say, Well, you know that Slash is black. But you know what's weird? I I actually didn't know that Slash was black. Did you know that? Yeah, I don't know if he's mixed, but it doesn't matter. Like I know, no, so, it doesn't I, matter I'm at all. Sure, but... I'm pretty sure that he that he is. I but yeah, it was never something that I thought about. I never thought about it either. And then I saw that quote. 
oh, you know, the Slash is black. And I'm like, wait, Slash is black? I, I felt the same one. Did you know, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's black? And I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. And it's just like, okay, well, but no, as, as he said, he's like, nobody turned to Slash and said, hey, how do you feel about one in a million? Because you're black. But they're asking Living Color because they were touring on the same, in the same ticket, right? Exactly. So hence this radio interview happens they go back to the tour and Axel's pissed off and comes at them basically saying, you got a problem with me yeah. kind of bullshit. <laughs> and I think after that, it was quite, uh, he goes on stage Axel that night and he was kind of saying to the crowd it's in the media that I'm some sort of racist, man. I ain't no damn racist. And then, then he went uh, on to sing, he went on to sing the song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so not to get too in depth because I don't want to use the language myself from the things that he said. Um, but yeah, like that definitely. Uh, I don't even know what to say about that. I don't even know how Guns N' Roses deal with that song anymore or what they've done about it or if they even touched it. But the, the thing that interested me is the fact that they put living color under the spotlight to have to deal with something that isn't their problem. Yeah. I frequently wonder about that. Like when you think about a a band that has longevity and that has a song that is problematic like that. Like, I wonder, I wonder when the stones stopped playing Brown Sugar. You know what I mean? Because if if you listen to Brown Sugar again, that's easily one of the most troublesome songs in the history of rock music. (laughs) And, and I mean, I'm sure they played it on tour, but they had to reach a point where we're like, where, you know, as, as the world became more woke, I mean, it's a good thing that they don't tour anymore because would people be asking them to play Brown Sugar? You know, I mean, it's, I, I wonder about that. But yeah, I'm sure people retire songs because it's like, yeah, this, we can't, that was a song of its time and we can't do that anymore. Honestly, the best thing they can do is retire it. The worst nah. thing that could happen is people cry and whine a little bit about it who like the song. Well, too bad. They played like 30 other songs you like. So yeah, fuck go, off. go home and listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> if you if you're so it's so important to you <laughs> but yes but, the band you, go ahead uh, no i was gonna say the the one of the other things that i loved was the fact that when they were kind of at their peak in 89 um they performed on saturday night live and i was a big saturday night live guy at the time and one of the things that i always found was that the live music on Saturday Night Live always sounded kind of shitty. The the mix was kind of off. It never sounded really, really good. And uh, and I was just like, oh, okay. So even if it was a band that I liked, I was just like, okay, yeah, that was fine. I guess it was nice to see them. But I, I the space didn't seem conducive to live music. Living Color burned that fucking place down. It was so good. It was yeah. so good. They just nailed that gig. It was amazing. I'll have to find it and see if I can find that on. I wonder if it's on YouTube. I because I know that NBC is really, really uh, tight-fisted with their with their clips, and they sort of restrict them. But uh, Mm -hmm. if you can find that, damn, that was a people find a way. All you have to well, I shouldn't tell people how to find stuff, so I'm not going to be creative. And you you can find you can find the things you need to find. There's ways to find Saturday Night Live episodes as well. So life Uh, finds a way. Yes, you can always purchase them. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can also always purchase them legally through the various means <laughs> provided to you by the major conglomerates in the United States. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the band gets back together in 2000. Correct. They get and back together in 2000 and they uh they they have kind of stayed together. I mean, I guess sort of. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. most most of what they've been doing now is kind of like 
best of living color very it's i always find that interesting when you have like a best of album from a band that's really had one big album it's like the best of chumba wumba gee i wonder what's going to be on that aside from I tub, know. <laughs> let's or see someone tub, has, thumping, tub thumping the live version someone puts out two albums and they get a greatest hits i was yeah. like what the what the fuck for i don't understand that Oh, that was the other thing that that uh, Corey Glover did in 2006. He toured with a, a Jesus Christ superstar. He mm-hmm. played he played Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar, which is actually I wish I'd seen that because he would kill in that role. I know I do I do musical theater a bit myself. I sing a bit myself. Oh, um, wonderful! I, yeah, in fact, I've I even auditioned to be in Jesus Christ Superstar, and I didn't get the role. But I don't oh, want to talk. Right. About, I don't want to talk about that right now. It's devastating. Uh, <laughs> um, but that role is a you know the role of Judas is usually played by a black man and is a really rock and rocking uh, role. Uh, so I can see his voice suiting that perfectly. And he toured that for for two years. He toured that from two thousand six to two thousand eight. Well, there you go. Was it, that was was that? I wonder if that was like a North American production, like. I would imagine it was, I'm, I'm guessing Ted Neely was probably Jesus. Ted Neely played Jesus from the time from DNA up until like this afternoon. He's, he's the guy who played Jesus. Like basically I saw a live production of Jesus Christ Superstar when he was touring, I guess it was about 10 years ago. And Ted Neely was playing Jesus again. And I was like, wait, isn't he like 93? And he's like, he's so, he's sung the role so, 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 so much that you can just hear that he's sung the role so so he's fine but you know like he's well past it so sometimes they insert someone new like Corey Glover and I, and even though I didn't see it I'll bet he kicked ass well I hope that he still considers doing some more acting and that in the future yeah I'd, hey I'd love to see it I'd love to see it and you know what I mean I, I maybe I lied maybe I will go back and listen to that new I knew it's three years old that new living color album again uh just to see if i like it one thing i do have to do is i want to go back and listen to times up again because i do remember liking that album quite quite a bit but i never i never had the cd i had it on cassette and when i got rid of all my cassettes it, it went the way of all flesh <laughs> uh, i still have a box of cassettes but i don't know why they're probably all dust now who knows isn't that funny like i, I still have a whole bunch of vhs tapes but i don't have a, a thing to play them on they're just sitting there <laughs> I have uh, the box of VHS that I have to encode. I actually purchased something to digitalize them. It's just a matter of getting the, uh, getting, making the time to do it. Okay. No, this is the, bi- this is the big question to prove your, your, your props when it comes to being ridiculously old, which is that th- this might be the extra, you know, 10 years between you and I, mm-hmm. uh, did you have the seal test milk carton to put your LPs into? <laughs> like the the 33 no. lps like you know the albums like before yeah. cds you had your, your you had your vinyl and the you know the so, sort of seal test milk cartons that they sort of carried milk in they were the exact <laughs> exact parameters to fit a whole bunch of 33 rpm records so when you went over to somebody's house or you know in my house you, they would have, and everybody had like at least two or three of those milk cartons filled mm-hmm. with their vinyl. That's what they would have their vinyl is. As you and I sit here right now, I am pointing to underneath the stairs where I still, to this day, <laughs> have a seal test milk carton filled with vinyl, which I can now listen to on my daughter's uh, record player, which she will never let me use, but you know, I'll, I'll try to get it. To... That is so cool. I like the convenience of carrying that around. Oh, it was great. And everyone had one. Everybody had one. I 
I, I'll, I'll have to tell you, I did not. I didn't have any vinyl to call my own, really, because it was more like whatever my mom had um, right. for vinyl. Because right, right. my first purchases that I made for myself were cassette. Right. Yeah. See, that's why I'm older than kerosene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah, it was cassette mostly. And then. Yeah, it took the first couple CDs I got. I think I got them from a radio station for free. Oh, wow. Uh, just promo ones, you know, with the hole punch in the corner. So, you the know, hole punch in the corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think the first one was the David Bowie album, Black Tie, White Noise. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, but I didn't have a CD player to play it on yet. The You know, the hole punch in the corner thing is funny. I, one of my most sort of humiliating memories is I remember I had, uh, uh, you know, Tim Curry from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. He came to the record store in my town. And so he was signing albums and I had a Tim Curry album because Tim Curry actually released some out, al- some solo albums mm-hmm. um, as like, just as a, as a vocalist. And he had a song, he had, he had an album called Simplicity, which I had. But the one that I bought was actually a delete. I got from the delete bin. So it actually had the whole punch in it. So I still wanted to get him to sign it. So I took that and I took it up to him to sign it. And he actually said, oh, you didn't pay very much for this, did you? And I was like, oh, shit, Tim Curry knows I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> but he still signed it. I, I thought he was going to put here. Enjoy this, you cheap ass. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like i guess they noticed these things oh that oh yeah 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 he knew but i bought the album i promised him i bought the album on my wall this one. Ooh, tiffany wait i can't this was the first cassette i ever owned oh wow um and she came and played edmonton three years ago maybe uh and i got her to sign this but now i realize look at the hole punch oh it does have the whole there it is the hole punch but i didn't really care about that this was gifted to me by a good friend Who's a musician here in Edmonton? I'm just um, realizing that my my signed Tim Curry album is probably sitting in that sealed test milk carton that I just referred to. After we finish recording, it, we're gonna have to go look. It might be actually worth something. Who the hell knows? You should look. <laughs> now, on the tail end of things here in our discussion with uh, Living Color, um, how political is this band? I know there's a lot of similarities there, and like you can tell, obviously, when we speak about Tom Morello, that Rage is quite influenced by them. Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say that they were political in the sense that they that that was their sort of raison d'etre. It wasn't like like they they lived to be political. Like if, Mm -hmm. you know, if you listen to, you know, so so many of their songs, they deal with a bunch of other things. That being said, they were certainly not topics that they shied away from. And because of the fact that they were kind of pioneers as a black rock and roll band in the 80s who were tried to you know, they, they, they were people trying to put them into a different peg. You better believe that that made it into their lyrics. There was social commentary. There was stuff on racism. Um, mm. there, there was all kinds of stuff. There's, uh, what's the song? Hold on. Uh, on, yeah, on open letter to a landlord, like the whole thing starts at, you know, you can, you can tear a building down, but you can't erase a memory. And it, and that song is about gentrification in, in cities. So, and, you know, and this is on their first album. This is not like after they'd been established. They're just like, no, fuck this. We're going to be talking about this on this album. So it wasn't like they were in your face political, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they had no problem with their lyrics, you know, straying into areas that they thought were important. You know, so I really like and respect that their their subject matter is all over the map and doesn't shy away from anything. 
Yeah. And that's, you know what, that also might be one of the reasons why they, why the, the music endures too. Right. I mean, I know that they did, I know VH1 did a thing called the greatest art, the hundred greatest artists of hard rock and living color was on there. I think at like number 70 or something. And I know that their the cult of personality was, was used on grand theft auto San Andreas. It was one of the songs you could listen to in your car as you drove around and ran over people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, their, their music endures, as you say, you know, they, they, they call it funk, funk metal. I'm not sure. <sighs> I don't know how much I like that term. I like I do and I don't. It's not like I actively dislike the term, but mm -hmm. it, like funk metal implies that it's metal, which it's not, mm -hmm. and it implies that it's funk, which it's not. What it is is it's really good rock and rock and roll played by black guys who are in insanely good musicians and who mm -hmm. have a background in soul and funk and jazz and rock and roll. And you could hear that in these little strings that make their way through the music. And, and mm. that that's just kind of a better way to look at it. I think. There's just kind of more straight ahead rock and roll than either of the other. I think so. Titles. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that honestly, if you listen to like it, like, you know, when you go off and you listen to the, those, for, those one or two songs that I said, you should listen to, you're, you're listening to straight up rock and roll and it's great. It's like, it's kick-ass rock and roll is what it is. Good. I'm glad you mentioned and clarified that. Otherwise I would have been sitting here going, I love funk metal, you guys. <laughs> well, Hey, listen, you know, what the hell do I know? A lot. It, it might be funk metal. And for all I know, maybe the band loves having it called funk metal because it's like, Hey, we pioneered this brand new way of looking at things. But, yeah, um, but at the end of the day, when I listen to it, I'm listening to just really good rock and music and, and I, and I love the sound of it. Right. I'm really happy to share the band with the listeners today, as well as uh, play some clips. Um, I have reached out to the members of the band through different means. Um, and hopefully maybe one day they'll want to come and talk on the show. And that would be lovely. Oh, hey, if they do, you, you come, I'll yeah. get you back. I'll you got to invite me back. Maybe after they listen to this, you know, episode and, and they hear me just drooling all over them, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, we can talk to this Canadian schmuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be awesome if they do that. But uh, yeah, we'll reach out and we'll see what happens. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, to wrap things up, uh, I really don't know what to say at this point. I, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really grateful for your time today. Um, you're really interesting, and I really enjoyed the, the things you had to say about the band. So thank you so much, Don, for your time. You are very welcome. It was a pleasure to be on the show. It's been it's a it's a fun show to listen to, and uh, it's it's nice to talk about a, a lot of these artists that many people who are younger than you or I might not have listened to because you know, as mm -hmm. we said, so many of those artists get a bit of a short shrift because they had a they had a short lifespan, but mm -hmm. the music for many of these artists, very much including Living Color, is something that I you know I. I would love my daughters to listen to more that I, that I have no problem yeah. recommending anybody listen to today. If you're listening to this right now, you're listening to this podcast and it's almost done and you're looking down at the counter, seeing that there's only three minutes left in the show. Once the show is done, pull up your Spotify, pull up vivid and listen to it and say, actually that guy, even though he was annoying was kind of right about this band. You're so not annoying. Also. <laughs> but yeah, I think one of the, one of the best parts of doing this show for me is figuring out that although people might not have be in the limelight after the 90s, a lot of them were still very actively involved in the music business yeah, and still making much. music to this day. It's just that 
they don't have the record contract anymore or they're they're making it but you have to go seek it out so not do, only that, that's but what i try to encourage people to do yeah and they're ma- and they're they're not only doing that but they're making music in different ways right they're either like a session musician or mm-hmm. they are in music publishing or you know they they figured their way through in terms of making a living at it without you know making a, a video for mtv precisely and uh yeah you can still find stuff that could really appeal to you by that artist if you go and seek it out so um there's a lot of material there to listen to still for Living Color. So I really recommend as well that people go check it out. What's your favorite color, baby? <laughs> that's actually, I think that's, that's, that's the last song. That's the last, I said that at the beginning with it. There's a song called Living Color and that's how it starts. So what's your favorite color, baby? Living Color. <laughs> that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Don. Three You're Interesting Things podcast. If, uh, if you want socials, if you want to come follow us, and, and by the way, on three interesting things, we're also looking for interesting things to be talking about. Uh, and they can they can fall literally anywhere in the realm of human experience. So if you have something that you want us to talk about, essentially the idea behind the show is that people, you know, those things that you find in the internet that you want to talk about with somebody. It's like, hey, I saw this article today. I saw this thing today. It's either funny. It's thought provoking. It's whatever. Yes. That's what we want. And so tweet it to us at three interesting, the number three interesting, or on our Instagram at three, that's the number three interesting things, or email it to me at three interesting things at gmail.com. There's a little final promo just to be horribly commercial <laughs> well we're still in this lockdown time because i imagine you have you're going through the lockdown right now right you're in ontario oh listen i'm out i'm uh, looking lick- at your sweater that's why i think you're in ontario <laughs> I, I, i'm outside partying with people licking the inside of people's mouths it's a grand old time here in toronto <laughs> yes i'm in uh i'm in toronto and we actually just yesterday got new lockdown restrictions put into place no one quite knows what they are because they sound exactly like they were before essentially i think the only difference is that i can't go to loblaws after 9 p.m i think that's Ooh. the only difference i know yes you, you guys got it worse than alberta <laughs> well i know you but, guys are having well alberta just has a big fucking party through the whole damn thing <laughs> well that's oh, well that- what restrictions we don't have those that's the funny thing. It, like, tr- uh, you know, I think Toronto's getting a bit of a bad rap uh, because there's, you know, high numbers. But I, yeah. but from what I have experienced, and I've been around the town, people are generally being good. People are generally following the rules. The only difference is we've got so many fucking people here. It's population related. It's population, so that you know, if Condensed one density. If, yeah, if 1% of the population of Edmonton is being an asshole or 1% of the population of Toronto is being an asshole, there's going to be a lot more assholes in Toronto out on the street uh, mm-hmm. spreading the virus around, which is which is the main problem going on right now. So yeah, wash your hands, wear a mask, think of other people, don't be a dick. When we're talking percentage-wise, Alberta is like worse than all of the prairies and probably Toronto combined. And yet... We all have it way better than our friends south of the border. I was just talking about this on the episode yeah. of the podcast of my podcast is coming out next week. We were talking about the fact that over the last three days, three days in the United States, more people have died in the United States than in 9-11 and both Gulf Wars combined. And it's not a top five news story in the United States. That's how much it's gone to shit in the states so as much as we and my wife is from the south of france and in france things are pretty messed up there as well Mm -hmm. so uh we're we're doing poorly but at the same time we could be doing worse i think i'm going to keep this in the podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey please do please do yes okay well yes and then i'm going to uh make sure i tag you on all the social media and message you when this comes out um also please be on the show again 
Like hey. if you got the time, it was an absolute blast. You're very knowledgeable. And uh, yeah, I would love to have you back. Well, I, uh, you, you have someone of a vintage who can speak uh, relatively intelligently about a number of the bands that you want to talk about. So mm. uh, if you want, what you can do is you can you can send me the list again of, of who you're, like if, if you want to pick a top 10 of who you'd like to get over the next little while, I, if there's any that I cannot talk about, I will tell you, like if you were doing a GNR, I'd say, have fun, I'll listen to it because I, I, there's no way in hell I could talk about it. Um, Fair enough. But there's a number of artists that I could because I'm a big music guy anyway. So, uh, well, I'm glad. Are you, are you genre specific? Or are you kind of all nah, over the map? I'm all over the damn map. Yeah, all okay. over the map. I'm I'm one of those people who firmly believes that you should not be ashamed of anything on your Spotify playlist or your iPod. I do not have guilty pleasures. I embrace everything I listen to. 100%. I don't even care if other people think it's lame. 100%. One of my favorite things to listen to when I'm working at my, my computer is Hanson. I'll listen to fucking Hanson. Han I'm one of mm -hmm. two people who actually bought Hanson's second album. And let me tell you, it's one of the best albums that came out in the 90s. Oh, which is the one with that song? Um, I will come to you. Oh, I will come to you. Oh, I and don't then, know that song. Then there's one that's... Uh... Hey, you know what? This time around, I think. This time around, the... that's, the, that's the second that's album. The such a good song hey guess what i think we just found what i can come on the show and talk about next if you want <laughs> Let's talk about i could talk about i could talk about i can easily talk about hanson i love hanson they're great i have a, i have a, a friend who's on the show sometimes kendra yeah um i don't know if you've heard her on the show but she's a huge hanson fan too so we ah, could even see? like have her pitch in on that it would you be me and kendra are going to be talking about hanson and i will fanboy all over hanson all right. So, there's, so Hanson did a, um, they did, a, do you know Tiny Desk Concerts on NPR? No. There's a thing on NPR Music where they do this thing called Tiny Desk Concerts and they have an artist and they're big artists. They had Lizzo, they had Taylor Swift, they had a bunch of people and they'll get them to play a little concert at the desk with all of the employees of NPR clapping and everything else. And Hanson came in and they did a three song gig and I must have watched that video on YouTube like, hundred times I'll be watching that video and my daughter will come in the room and like are you watching that stupid handsome video I'm like it's so good they are so adorbs <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much about Living Color today, and I want to thank Don Grant for making that possible. 
He was a fabulous guest, and you can check out his podcast at Three Interesting Things. Go search him up on all the greatest podcast players there are. And you can look up more about the band Living Color at livingcolor.com. Remember to put a U in color. Yeah, Canadian spelling. Well, we have a great guest coming up next week, Ainsley, who stars in two podcasts. He's currently the one of the hosts on the podcast Reject and Serve. And he has a new one coming out, too, called the Price Tag Podcast, which I'm looking forward to being a guest on soon. Ainsley's going to be here talking to me about Blur versus Oasis and the great battle of the Britpop bands back in the day. So join us for that next week. And you guys be safe out there. All right. We love you. See you soon. Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.